Hi, Pastor Chad Tucker here from Doxa Church in Burlington, North Carolina. To learn more about our new ministry and to find out about how you can partner with us, visit us online at doxaburlington.com. That's D-O-X-A burlington.com. We hope you enjoy the message. We're in Revelation chapter 3. We're making our way verse by verse and sometimes phrase by phrase through the book of Revelation. And um, I'm so thankful for what God is doing in the midst of our church uh, through this study. And what a blessing it's been to me to study it. And to um, and, and many of you have expressed uh, uh, God doing what He said He would do in Revelation 1, which is bless those who hear and heed the Word. Um, we know that people are listening online from different parts uh, around the world. We've even gotten confirmation of recently. And uh, time and again, I'll receive a, a, a letter or I'll have a conversation with friends from other places. And they are following along in our study as well. And so uh, I'm so thankful to know that the way God is blessing us is by bringing us together uh, to study His Word and that His Word is going forth and equipping the saints in other places uh, away from here and other places around uh, the world. So we're making our way verse by verse, kind of phrase by phrase, through the book of the Revelation. And we are in the section on the letters of Christ to His church, specifically seven churches. These are seven specific churches. They would be on the Roman road mail route. John was there on the Isle of Patmos, as you will well remember, in his late 80s, early 90s. Uh, there because of the gospel, doing hard time, hard labor on the penal island of Patmos. And there, even there... He took time to worship the Lord on the Lord's day. And one day while he was there worshiping the Lord in spirit on the Lord's day, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ in his glorified resurrected form appeared to him and gave him this vision and told him to write the things which you have seen. And write the things which are... Those are the letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 and following, and the things that must take place after this. So we're in the second section, if you will, in the book of Revelation, the letter to the seven churches, the things which are. And we are in the sixth of the seven churches. Can you believe it? We are almost through with the study of the seven churches. However, don't be too... Much in a hurry to get through this and on to the next section. Because this particular letter is the last letter to a good church. And this is a letter that I believe most closely represents our church. And in this letter there are there is so much goodness and so much nuggets of truth. And, and so many things that I just want to take time... To savor it all. One thing that I know about me that you may not know about me, though you might, we've eaten together a whole lot, is I have a tendency to eat fast. I know you're supposed to slow down and you're supposed to chew your food and do all of that. And on more than one occasion, I've been asked by my parents or by people in my family, son, did you even taste that going down? 
So we stop and think about it. What, what do we do to, we take a bite of food and we chew it and we let the juices and the flavoring and all of those things come together. And, and that's how we enjoy the meal, right? We enjoy it. With this letter, what I want us to do is, is I want us to seek and to savor Christ through the study of His letter to the church at Philadelphia. And, and I want us to just not mosey through here. We're not doing an unintentional wandering. But I do want us to slow down. And I do want us to kind of relish in the things that we are seeing. And my prayer is, as we study this letter, and it'll take three, maybe four weeks to study this letter. And you'll understand today, when you see how far we get, why it's going to take that. Uh, And I just want us to enjoy the journey of the Lord Jesus Christ speaking to His church at Philadelphia. No, this isn't up north in the United States. This is in the Bible lands, of course. There in uh, Turkey. And I want us to um, enjoy this and hear from the Lord as it relates to us and as it relates to to, uh, our church. I don't believe that you will find any more encouraging passage of Scripture to turn to in times of despair in times of discouragement, in times where you need to hear a word from God, you need to you need to be reminded of the promises of His Word. I don't think that you'll find a more encouraging place to go and to learn more about Christ and who He is and the promises that He has for us and who we are in Christ through the overcomer promises than in the letters to the seven churches and particularly in this particular, particularly in this letter today. It begins in Revelation chapter 3 verse 7 and it goes through verse 13. Uh, However, today all we're going to do is we're going to read verse 7. And that is as far as we will get today. As far as we will get today. And we're going to look at some other places in Scripture to see how how they weigh in on this. And we're going to start with a Christ-centered look at God's Word, putting Him in His proper place as the Holy One. The Holy One. And what I want you to see today is, is not just that holy is a description or a characteristic of of Christ, but I want you to see that He is, by virtue of title... The Holy One. And that's where we're going to spend our time uh, today. It's so much more than just a description of His character. It's so much more than a designation that's, or a description that's given to Him. It is a title. A title. And in that we'll learn some things. Revelation chapter 3 verse 7 begins in verse 1, just like the other letters, write to the angel slash messenger of the church in Philadelphia. Now when we conclude the chapter 3, every time we see the angel, we will not say angel slash messenger. From chapter 4 on, the word angel means the same thing you have in mind. 
angel. It's an angelic being created from God. But here in this, because he's given these letters right to the angel, and that angel is a representation of the church, and he's writing to the angel and he's saying, "Do these are the things that pertain to you and are reflective of your church. We know that these can't be angels in this past scripture. Same word for angel, messenger. We've dealt with this in the past. Because in cases he, some cases he tells this angel to repent, and an angel can't repent. And he tells this angel to do things that angels cannot do by virtue of who they are. And so these must be human messengers. We've looked at this. John used the same word, angelos, as messengers in the past. You can go back uh, online and listen to those and see that for yourself. But write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One, the True One. And the one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will close, and who closes and no one opens. Today, we're going to take the phrase, thus says the Holy One, and we're going to see exactly what that means and how that applies to Jesus and what difference it makes in our lives. As you look at the word holy, uh, the word holy in the original language is the word hagios. Uh, the word holy means completely something other. Uh, it means, um, it, it means, uh, it, it, it is, it is one who is completely different than all of the others. To be holy is to be unique, is to be set apart. Uh, to be holy in relation to God means complete otherness. It means without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. It means without sin. I want you to see, even though some translation says, some translations say, thus says the one that is holy, I believe that that particular translation misses the emphasis on the title, the Holy One, that I believe is very important for us to understand. And as we work our way through these passages of Scripture in the New Testament, I hope that you will come to see that as well and see just how important this title or designation of the Holy One really is. And so with that in mind, I want us to look, first of all, in Luke chapter 1. So go with me to Luke chapter 1 uh, in the Word of God. We're going to look at a couple passages in Luke, and we're going to look in Acts. We're looking first John. And so we're going to begin in Luke and, and make our way back to make our way back to the book of the Revelation. Revelation chapter, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 1 verse 26. We're going to pick up on a very familiar passage of scripture. However, we don't usually read this except for Christmas time. And so, uh, as you know, the weather's a little cooler today. We're moving into fall. Christmas is around the corner. So maybe this will whet your appetite and get you in the mood for Christmas even earlier. Even earlier. Luke chapter 1 verse 26, in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. 
The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Verse 30. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now just imagine, here's Mary, and she's perhaps maybe as early as a preteen. They got married a lot earlier in those days. That is important, and I think we need to note that she was a virgin. And not every preteen today is. And I think it's important that we understand that God's standard for holiness has not changed. God's parameters of sexual intimacy have not changed. It is to be confined within a marriage relationship and anything, any type of sexual intimacy outside of the marital bonds is outside of God's plan. And therefore it invites the curses of God uh, on it. It doesn't matter whether it's heterosexual or homosexual, by the way. Both are outside of God's plan. And here she was betrothed to uh, a husband. That means that she was engaged. She was committed to him. They were awaiting the time. And this angel appears to her, which certainly would be frightening for a young lady. And so her question would probably be a question that you would ask too if the Holy Spirit came to you and you were a virgin and said, you're going to give birth. It's a natural question, is it not? Verse 24, Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, now before I go there, listen, I want you to understand this. Is you have no problem believing in the virgin birth if you believe Genesis 1-1. If you accept Genesis 1-1 as truth, in the beginning God... Not God became, God was. In the beginning, God existed. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you have the right view of who God is. If God can create everything that we can see and the things that we can't see, and He can do all that. If you have no problem with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, you have no problem believing in the virgin birth. The virgin birth is no big deal to God who created everything that there, that there was. That's why it's important that we seriously believe God's word in its entirety and in its fullness. The virgin birth is absolutely essential. Jesus could not be the Savior, the Redeemer. The Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, if He was not born of a virgin. 
Now, notice her question. How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with the man? Notice verse 35. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now look at this. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even in the announcement of the angel to Mary, Jesus is given the designation, the Holy One. It's just like that in the original language. The Holy One. It's given to Him. It's not just a description that He he will be a boy and He will be holy. It's not that just that He will act holy It is that He is the Holy One. The One set apart from all other. The One without spot. The One without blemish. The One without wrinkle. The One who knew no sin. Totally otherness. That is so foreign to who we are and what we can understand. Apart from His holiness being imputed to us. But but notice the title here. The title is the Holy One. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Well, this is the first designation in the New Testament of Jesus being the Holy One. But I want you to notice this. Go with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 4. Let's look at another passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 4, we have the baptism of Jesus in chapter 3. We have the temptation of Jesus in chapter 4. And in chapter 4, I want you to notice this. We're going to go down to verse 31. Jesus begins His ministry in Galilee, and He's now over in Capernaum. In Luke chapter 4, verse 31, Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man with an unclean demonic spirit who cried out with a loud voice. Verse 34, leave us alone. What do you have to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? Now look at this. I know who you are. The the demon doesn't say, I know what you're like. He doesn't say, I know your characteristic is holy. He says, I know who you are. Who are you? He says, I know who you are. The Holy One of God. So not only did the angels tell Mary that you're going to give birth to the Holy One. Here the demons, as Jesus is getting ready to demonstrate His power and His authority over them. And cast them out and heal this man. They say, I know who you are. And may I remind you that the devil and a third of the angels that fell with him were once in heaven. Right? They were in heaven prior to the fall. Satan wanted to be like God. He wanted to be God and therefore was was identified in heaven as trying to usurp the throne and power of God. And he cast him and a third of the angels went with him. 
They would know who Jesus is because they were in heaven. Jesus didn't come into existence. You know this. Jesus did not come into existence when He was born of the virgin. He existed eternally in the past just like God the Father and just like God the Holy Spirit. Which is one of the reasons among many that the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Let us create man in our image. Remember, when it comes to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are co-eternal, they are co-existent, and they are co-equal. The Trinity. And here, the demons recognize Him. I know who you are. Who? The Holy One. The Holy One of God. Are you starting to see? It's more, much more than the fact that there is this one characterized as holy. This is a title that's been given to Him. It has been given to Him and a title that, that well... If you've ever seen these posters on the wall, and they have all the names of Jesus in it and who He is, if you look closely at that poster, you will see the two that's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, not up there. Because it doesn't say that Jesus is the Holy One. It doesn't say Jesus is the true One. So if you ever see that poster, pull out your little pen, permanent sharpie would be best, and add it into that poster wherever you go. And now you'll be making that poster even more biblical. That's called graffiti, Alan. I'm not really suggesting that you do that, okay? You get the... <laughs> uh, so even the demons recognize Him as the Holy One. Let's go over to Acts if we can. Acts chapter 3. Um, I tell you what, for the uh, for the sake of time, let's let's go to let's go to chapter four. Chapter four. Chapter four. We're going to pick up in. Uh, uh, let's pick up in verse thirteen. Peter and John have been arrested and they faced the Jewish leadership. And there they were threatened and told that they could not preach Jesus. And verse chapter 4, verse 13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now let that sink in. Being trained and educated does not necessarily reveal, in fact, the most trained and the most educated Today, in the ivory towers of today, reveal that they have not been with Jesus. What is required to be used of Jesus, not to be trained and educated. What requires to be used with Jesus is to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus. And when you're with Jesus, other people will recognize that they had been with Jesus. Verse 14. And since they saw the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in opposition. After they ordered him to leave the Sanhedrin, they conferred among themselves... Saying, what should we do with these men? 
For an obvious sign has been done through them, clear to everyone living in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that this does not spread any further among the people, let's threaten them against speaking to one another in this name again. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after threatening them further, they released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all given glory to God over what had been done. For this was for this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. And after they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together to God. And they said, Master, you are the one who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. And you said through the Holy Spirit, by the mouth of your father, David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot futile things in vain? Does that sound familiar? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against the Messiah. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. We read that earlier. Verse 27. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against... Now look at this. Your holy servant, Jesus... The Holy One who serves Jesus. The Holy Servant. Again, it pulling in the title, the Holy One, and adding to it the idea of a servant. It's literally the Holy Servant, Jesus. Taking the Holy One and expanding it. Against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your will had predestined to take place. Who is the one who gives the power to do the ministry that God has called them to do? It's the Holy One, Jesus. You can go back. Just make a note. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 13 and following. It's there as well. In fact, if you look in uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 14, you denied the Holy and Righteous One is in... The sermon that's being preached there. Peter's preaching. And he addressed the people. Chapter 3 verse 14. He's telling them you denied the holy and righteous one. So we have the angel using the term. We have the demons using the term. We have the uh, Peter using the term in preaching. The apostles using the term. Uh, and in a ministry that they were doing. Now go over to 1 John chapter 2. As we make our way back to the book of Revelation, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. And this is, of course, the same author who wrote in the book of the Revelation. And this is the one who used the title there, and we're going to see how he uses it here in this particular passage then we'll go back to Revelation and tie some things together. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, John writes, or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
And the pride in, in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, and the one who does the will of God remains forever. Look now in chapter 2, verse 15. I mean, excuse me, verse 18. Children, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists, plural, have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. There were those who had made false professions of faith and were part of the church. And when the persecution came, when times got difficult, they fell away, they faded away. And John's writing to say, if they were genuine... Either they would return to Christ because of the perseverance of the saints. He would draw them and bring them back to Himself. Or they're not genuine converts and therefore they went out and will never return to us. Verse 19 again, They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. Verse 20. But you, genuine believer, you who are made righteous in in the fellowship of God, but you have an anointing from who? The Holy One. You have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. How important is the title, the designation of the Holy One? Beloved, I would say it's vitally important. It's vitally important because if He is not the Holy One, He cannot impute holiness to another. Even here, John is bringing in the language of the Antichrist and even more Antichrist. And so, with that in mind, let's go back to Revelation chapter 3. Verse 7, write to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, Thus says, not the one that is holy, for the one that is holy is good, but thus says... The Holy One that was announced by God through the angel to Mary. Thus says the Holy One. The ones that the demons recognize. And may I remind you, they tremble in the presence of God. We know who you are, the demon said. The Holy One. He is the one that the apostles preached about. He's the one that when they were preaching, they said, you rejected and denied the Holy One. And He is the one believer. You are a believer because the Holy One has anointed you. When John says here, recording the words of Jesus... Write to the angel of the church of Philadelphia. Thus says the Holy One. We're going to see when we get to Revelation chapter 6 through chapter 18. That there is another one. 
There's another one who tries to present himself as the Holy One. There's another who tries to present himself as God. There's another who tries to to take. And people begin to mistakenly follow after the wrong one because they do not recognize the Holy One. There are counterfeits everywhere and they will become more apparent in the days ahead as we study the tribulation. But for now, let's marvel in the fact that He is the Holy One. Now, can believers be holy? The answer to that question is yes. Believers can be holy because the Bible says this. In 1 Peter, the Lord says, Be holy. Become holy. For I am holy. And it says that multiple times throughout the Bible. So yes, you can become holy. Yes, you can be characterized as holy. Yes, your actions and your attitudes and your ways can be deemed holy. But listen, not because you are innately holy. You and I are innately sinful. You and I fall short of the glory of God. And sometimes, sometimes, even the good things we do are tainted by impure motives. In impure intentions, seeking to draw attention after ourselves, or seeking to present ourselves in some light, or seeking to cause some effect that is less than holy, even if the act itself appears holy. He is the Holy One. And beloved, can we be holy? Can we be characterized holy? Only to the extent that we know Jesus and He by nature of being our Savior by nature of being our salvation imputes or gifts or gives His holiness to us only to the extent that He imputes His holiness to us, can we be characterized as anything but holy? And therefore, only through the blood of Christ may we be made holy. Here in chapter 3, verse 7, it's not just that He's characterized as holy. It's the the fact that the Bible's testimony from God to the angels, to the apostles, to the demons, testify that He is title, the Holy One. The same could be said about being the true one. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And with both holiness and truth, everything else is measured by that standard. We don't have a standard of holiness apart from God. We don't even know what holiness is apart from God. It's the angels in Isaiah chapter 6 that saw the Lord and said, Holy, holy, holy. 
is the Lord God Almighty. They couldn't even describe the holiness of God using a single term. And they didn't have good, better, best. They didn't have holy, holy, or holiest. They just wanted to just to expand it to the tripart. Holy, holy, holy. What's the difference between holy and holy, holy, and holy, holy, holy? I have no idea. But when they looked upon the Lord sitting high upon His throne, the words that came out of her mouth described the holiest, 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 the holiest of all holies. That is the character of who He is, and that is the designation of the title. And therefore, every designation of holiness is compared to the Holy One. He is the standard. And the same thing could be said of truth. What is truth? Truth is God. And all truth is measured against the the truth of who God is. And we have no standard of truth apart from God. And therefore, the same designation goes there. He is the Holy One. He is the True One. And John says this, Thus says the Holy One, the True One. What does he say? We'll see that next time we gather together in God's house, studying His Word together. Beloved, I don't want this to rest upon your ears and then fade away the moment you depart this place. God is holy And He is the Holy One. And beloved, as we acknowledge Him and worship Him in His holiness, then yes, right, we will see ourselves in our sinfulness. Let me show you how that works. I had a t-shirt one time. And I pulled that t-shirt out, and it was a white shirt. And I put on this white t-shirt, and I was thinking that that shirt was white... And somebody said, that shirt is not white. That shirt is dingy. That shirt's not dingy. This is a white shirt. And then you lay it next to something that is white. What you thought was white next to something that is white shows that that wasn't white. It was... Y'all know what I'm talking about? Beloved, when you reflect on the holiness of God and who He is... All of a sudden, that which we thought was holy becomes dingy. And it becomes unacceptable. And we don't want it to have any part of who we are. We just want to, right? We want to be like Him, to see Him as He is. And we don't want those things to be a part of us. So as we reflect on the fact that He is the Holy One, may the Holy Spirit of God convict us of areas when we are less than that. We will never be that completely, not till we go to heaven. But we have been made holy through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And therefore, practically, we continue to work work on the areas of unholiness in our life that they may become more holy. My prayer is is that as you see Jesus the Holy One lifted up that that God would be gracious to you and reveal areas in your life that are not that so that you can get those areas right and become that. But beloved, I must say this as well. If you are not saved, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord, Master, Savior, 
Redeemer, then beloved, I want you to understand that you will still stand and give an account to the Holy One, but you will have no answer. You will have no advocate. You will have no one that steps in on your behalf. You will have had no one who's died for your sins and forgiven you and satisfied the wrath of God on your behalf. You will see Him as the Holy One in His holiness. But there will be an eternal destination difference between the holiness of God and those who will be with Him in heaven and those who see the holiness of God and will be separated from Him forever in a place called hell. If you are saved, if you are redeemed, the Holy One of God, John says, has anointed us. And I wouldn't want anyone listening to this message to leave here today And know that He is the Holy One. And not know Him as Lord and Savior. May God reveal the truth of His holiness. The fact of your unholiness. And show you how Jesus is the answer. He came to live the perfect, sinless, holy life. That we could not live. To die the death in the cross, in, and on the cross in our place that we should have died. And He gifts us who come to Him and repent and believe the gospel. He gifts us holiness. He gives us righteousness. He gives us eternal life. And He gives us all the promises of God. And why would anyone not want that? If you have any questions on what it means to be saved or how to be saved, I hope that you will reach out. You pray. You call upon God. You plead to Him in your sinfulness that He will save you and make you holy. And perhaps by His grace, He'll do just that. Let's stand for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. Thank You, Jesus, that You are the Holy One, the True One. And Father, I pray and ask that as we gaze upon Your holiness, that You and Your grace and mercy would reveal to us the areas of our lives that lack holiness. And that You would enable us, that You would equip us, that You would convict us. That we might set those things aside and no longer find pleasure in sin, but seek satisfaction and joy that only comes from You, God. And Father, may we draw near to You. And may people perceive in our lives, not that we are educated and trained, but may they see too, by our holiness, that You gift to us and we enjoy and we live out, may people see in us that we have been with Jesus. And use us in your glory to draw men and women, boys and girls to yourself. We love you and we thank you and we offer this prayer in the name of the Holy One, Jesus. God's people said, Amen. Amen.